0: So I've talked many times about how excited I am for Jordan Peele's next film that he's directing, titled Nope. And the first trailer absolutely blew me away. It didn't give any. It didn't give much away. I might add. It left things up to speculation. You know, whether it was about aliens or not. I, I think most people could kind of piece the puzzle together and figure out that oh, okay, it is aliens. And and there was a lot of speculation that the title itself, Nope. Is, a, is an actual acronym for not of planet Earth. And the final trailer has been released for this film. And it's confirmed. The trailer flat out shows a very traditional looking UFO. And uh, you know they mentioned aliens quite a few times in the trailer. So it's confirmed. It's aliens. That's what we're dealing with here in this film. And I really liked how this new trailer took a very different approach to what the first trailer did. The first trailer was setting the mood, setting the tension. But this trailer, however, brought a lot more levity, a lot more humor to it. We see that uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character and Kiki Palmer, their brother and sister, and they live at this ranch that's in California, and they sort of run this family business. They let uh, they run this ranch, and the horses at the ranch are used in like films and stuff like that. So they they see living on this ranch that there's this sort of figure in the sky, and they're like, "What is that?" Is it an alien? And then they decide, you know what? Even if it is an alien, let's spend some money. Let's get some recording equipment. Let's hook up some cameras around our house. Let's try and make a little bit of bread off this. Make a little bit of money off this. Get the uh, the Oscar shot, I think is what Kiki Palmer's character says in the trailer. So they hire the dude from, uh, I think it's Fry's. Uh, I, I've never seen that store here in Canada. So that I think that might just be something in the U.S. It's basically like a tech store. And they hire this guy to sort of uh, implant you know cameras around the property to you know catch this UFO up in the sky and oh my god this I am just so fucking excited for this film I think it can be better than Get Out and Us obviously you know the cast is off the wall I mean we we, we know how great of an actor Daniel Kaluuya is uh, I'm not too familiar with Kiki Palmer's work but she I mean from the little I've seen of her in the trailer I'm on board I think she looks like she's going to be great and Steven Yun, of course my first introduction to Stephen Young was in The Walking Dead. I thought he was fantastic in that, and uh, he he's an incredible actor. and of course, the man behind it all, Jordan Peele. he is one of my favorite directors currently working in Hollywood right now. Uh, I enjoyed us a lot more than most people I think a lot of people like for example, I actually talked about this about us with somebody the other day and you know they raise a good point like they acknowledge the film is well directed. The acting is superb but the story seems to be where the issue lies and you know what i do agree not to get off topic here but you have these doppelgangers essentially of people living above ground but you have these doppelgangers all living below in like a subway and it's just not really explained it's just like oh they live there except that and they eat bunnies (laughs) so it, it didn't entirely make sense so i can understand why people have an issue with that but Besides the point, I am incredibly excited for this. And I think that final trailer really kind of showcases the potential of how this film can be. Because it looks like it's going to have, obviously, horror, suspense, thrills, and a little bit of comedy. Like I mentioned, this trailer took a little bit of a different approach. We see that Kiki Palmer's character in the trailer is like, we're going to get the money shot, right? Like, we're we're going to catch this UFO. So they're not really taking it serious. And then I assume what will probably happen in the film is like, they're trying to almost bait this UFO to approach them so they could catch it on camera. And then things start to go wrong. People probably die. And what seems to what seems to be the biggest mystery left is what is going on with, these, with this parallel of the horses and the UFO. And I think we may have an answer to that. I think the answer to that is horses are going to be sort of like the, the priority of this UFO. And I think the UFO is going to suck up these horses into the sky and turn them almost to, like, humans, almost, or, or some kind of creature, because they, they showed this shot once again in the final trailer, but it was also in the first trailer. It, it seems to show a baby's hand getting ready to to, to, to give a fist pump to this almost, like, cross-breed between a, a horse's a hoof, I think it's called, and then a human's hand. So, I think... I know that to me is the biggest mystery left in this film. We, we see horses are advertised a lot. They're obviously a key aspect of the story. So that I'm curious to see now with, with Jordan Peele's films, I mean, he's only directed two, but with us and get out, there has always been a twist at the end, or at least in like the middle of the second act or the third act. Will there be another twist like that in this film? Or is the plot as straightforward as it's being advertised? I think there will be some kind of, you know, plot twist. And I think it will very much have to do with what what I was just explaining with the horses. So let me know what you guys think. Are you excited for us? Have you checked out the newest final trailer for the film? I think it comes out either the end of this month or the beginning of July. Uh, Either way, I'm going to be their opening night and I'm super fucking excited. Let me know how you guys feel about the trailer so yesterday i saw top gun top gun maverick i'm a little bit late to the party obviously the word of mouth for this film has just been going crazy and i'll be entirely honest once this film was approaching and you know people were getting ready to see it and there was a, you know some some buzz from film festivals like Cannes, cans i think it's called from uh, i think that one's in paris anyways besides the point There was a lot of excitement around the film, and I feel like I was one of the few people that wasn't entirely interested in it. Nothing to do with Tom Cruise, nothing to do with anybody involved in the film. It just didn't really look like my cup of tea. I also haven't seen the first film. But finally, I've had enough people tell me how amazing it is. So yesterday, I finally sat down in the theater to watch it. And before I get into my thoughts, let me just talk about The Reach and, and kind of touch upon the word of mouth again, because, you know, I, I thought like, oh, you know, word of mouth, you know, like people are it's well, mo- I, I mostly thought it was something to do with the online community, just kind of buzzing about it. But to provide context, I think this film has been out for about a month now, usually after the, the first two weeks or even the first week. You know, the the hype and everything kind of like dies down. But this film has been roaring in the box office and people are still going to see it. Like, let just like I said, to provide context, when I saw the film yesterday, I was barely able to get a decent seat because the entire theater was full. And I was like, holy shit, people still want to see this movie. So that's a, a testament to how, you know, successful Tom Cruise's you know from a marketing perspective because when I sat down to watch the film we were actually presented with not obviously not a live message but a pre-recorded message from Tom Cruise basically thanking us for you know taking our time to come to the theater watch the film so he's obviously very passionate about it I imagine he probably was uh, you know a producer on this film as well because I know he's a producer for a lot of his other films like the Mission Impossible films so you know Hats off to them for, for, for creating, obviously, a, a wonderful film that a lot of people seem to love. And overall, my general thoughts, I enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was a solid film. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I would say it's like one of the best films I've seen this year, but I certainly enjoyed it. I had a good time. It picks up right from the beginning. Tom Cruise is in some fucking jet and he, he almost goes to space. He literally touches the whatever upper atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get into spoilers, but I thought it was really good. Now, as I mentioned, I have not seen the first film and for some of the emotional beats for some of the emotional scenes, sorry about that. They certainly were, you know, I'm not gonna lie. There was a couple scenes in particular I did sort of choke up to, but a lot of the emotional scenes of the film very much had to do with if you had seen the first film, because there's other characters from the first film. That often get you know referred to and whatnot and if i had seen the first film i feel like i might have connected with those scenes a little bit more i felt i might have felt the weight of those scenes a little bit more uh but you know aside from that i mean i had no problem with the performances you know i've talked about My- miles teller a lot recently on uh this is his year you know he's uh if you haven't seen the offer go check out the offer Love that little uh, mini series, but he's a great actor, and he's definitely one of my favorite parts of this film. I think his chemistry between him and Tom Cruise. Now, what I'm about to say is not a spoiler; it's been advertised already in the trailers. But Tom or uh, Miles Teller's character, he goes by the call sign of Rooster, and he's uh, he's the son of Goose, who was, I believe, Tom Cruise's wingman in the first film so him and Tom Cruise's dad had a really good relationship but he passed away in the first film he, he died uh, by uh, I assume some kind of accident I tried to watch the film I tried to watch the first Top Gun before i had seen the film but it was kind of So I'll kind of explain how I even saw the film yesterday I was going to go see it at night but what happened was I, I drove all the way to the town that I saw the film in, I originally drove all the way there to actually play basketball, and what happened was I got there, and the sun was out, the sun was shining, the weather was fine. But as soon as I got there, it started pouring rain, and I was like, "Well, I just wasted, you know, basically a full tank of gas." And I left around five o'clock, so there was rush hour, so I was like, "You know, I don't want to entirely waste my time being here." You know, you know what? What can I do right now? And then I looked at I looked at the time. I looked at uh, Cineplex, which is the the theater chain. In Canada, and you know, I said, "Okay, Top Gun's in twenty minutes." I know I wanted to see it later, but I'm here now; might as well. So, I, I don't even know why I explained that, but yeah. So that's when I saw it, and uh, I was surprised. Um, I, I don't, I don't think the film, you know, was as. I, I don't think it's the masterpiece that a lot of people are describing it to be, but you know, it, it's still a, it's a great film. It's it's a solid film, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Let me know if you guys have seen it. If any of you have seen the first film, maybe maybe you'll enjoy the second one more than I did. Uh, I had quite a few people tell me, like, you know, I asked them that, you know, I said, hey, you know, like, I haven't seen the first film. Is it going to be a big deal that I go into the ne- the second film without seeing it? They're like, nah, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, they'll catch up the speed pretty quick. And to be fair, they do try to, like, you know, literally a big uh, paragraph you're, you're presented with at the opening of the film and kind of explaining what the whole Top Gun Navy program is. So they definitely make the effort, but yeah, you know, just to kind of sum up my thoughts, I thought it was, it was, it was a great film, entertaining, and you absolutely have to see it on the big screen. The sound system, when the jets are flying, you feel your seat shaking, you know, fuck going to the, The fucking D-Box film. You don't need that if you're seeing Top Gun Maverick. You feel the sound system in your legs, in your chest. When those F-18s or F-14s, whatever the fuck they're called. I don't have, I'm not very knowledgeable on, you know, whatever planes and stuff. When they're roaring through the sky, you feel like you're there. So anyways, wrap up my thoughts. I thought it was great. Let me know what you guys think about the film. If you've seen it, did you enjoy it? Did you not? Let me know why in the comments below. So um, I don't know if you guys could hear my phone going off earlier, but uh, it was actually my dad texting me, telling me how uh, he's super excited for the new Predator film called Prey. And I thought, fuck it, it wasn't on my notes, but let's talk about it. <laughs> so thanks, dad, if you're watching this, you gave me a little uh, little headliner idea. But uh, yeah, I actually saw. I wasn't. I didn't plan on talking about it, but you know, fuck it, why not? That movie Prey looks really, really good. Now it's going straight to Hulu. And uh, in Canada, we don't have Hulu. So, but Disney, but Disney owns Hulu. So I imagine it'll probably come out to Disney Plus. Uh, but yeah, that film looks really good. Now, the last Predator film I think had Adrian Brody. Oh no, that was the one before. The last one had uh, I I can't remember the guy's name, but he's like uh, Jordan Peele's best friend. He, he did all those comedy skits with him on Comedy Central. I, I can't remember his name, but uh, he's he's a funny guy. And it also had the guy from Narcos, from the first season of Narcos. I I can't remember the actor's name, but that one wasn't very good. Uh, Pretty forgettable, not terrible, but I watched it once and I didn't ever feel the need to revisit it. But the one before that, the one with Adrian Brody and a couple other actors and actresses, that one actually wasn't that bad. Uh, But, you know, regardless, bottom line, the Predator franchise has not been very successful. In quite a, quite a long time, I'd say probably since uh, the Alien vs Predator films from back in the the early two thousands. Um, I'm talking like that's uh, make it sound like it's like eons ago, but yeah. So we've been due for a good quality Predator film for a long time, and I like the premise of this. It's it, it's 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 people. It's it's First Nations people, and they're coming. They're encountering you know, this creature right from way back in time. And uh, obviously back then they, they didn't have the weaponry that we have today. It was just bow and arrows and, and, and other things of that nature. So I think that sounds incredible. And the, the trailer really kind of sparked my interest. I was already kind of curious, but once, that, once I saw that new prey is what the film's called. And uh, there's that shot of that girl getting chased by the grizzly bear and she's about to get torn apart by the grizzly bear. And she almost gets saved by the predator what we often see in a lot of these predator films is while the predators are obviously very dangerous beings and you know they live to hunt i think is the tagline that they use in uh, in the trailer they that's quite literally like they live to hunt but always towards the end of the film the predator always kind of gains respect for one of these characters that we see in the film and i think it's pretty obvious that this young girl being the protagonist of the film she's she's going to be Probably the one that she'll probably end up like teaming up with him or something by the end of the film. Who knows? But let me know if you've seen the new Prey trailer. But wanted to quickly talk about that. Let's move in to the next film on our list here. We have a Thunderbolts Marvel movie coming out. Now, for those of you that are like, Thunder what? So the Thunderbolts, in a nutshell, are essentially Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. But very different. There's no like... I mean I guess there is kind of an Amanda Waller character with the character uh, Valentina I forget her name. I have it on my list here. What's her name? Da, 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 da. Where is it here? Valentina Allegra De Fontaine. That character I I guess is the is the Marvel Marvel's version of Amanda Waller, but probably not as extreme. And we've seen her in Falcon and Winter Soldier and Black Widow. So it actually I'm not very surprised that this film was coming. I think it was just a matter of time. Now, uh, before William Hurt, unfortunately, passed away, rest in peace, uh, a lot of people were drawing the conclusion that he was going to be Red Hulk. And I think they were laying the seeds for even him to be Red Hulk all the way back from The Incredible Hulk, the uh, the, the, the one MCU film that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge is an MCU film, but it indeed is. Um, So they've been laying the seeds for a Thunderbolt film for quite literally years. Uh, and it's official. We are getting it. Deadline has reported it. Now, you know, if Deadline or Variety reports it, it's as good as confirmed. You know what I mean? It's. I, I, we could say it's not officially confirmed because it didn't come from Marvel or Kevin Feige. But like I said, if Marvel or if a Variety or Deadline reports it, you can you can take it to the bank. So, I'm gonna read a little quote for, or a couple quotes from the article. This comes from Justin Kroll from Deadline. And he says, I quote, Marvel's top secret Thunderbolts movie looks to have gained momentum as Deadline has learned that that Jake Schreier is set as director of the new Marvel Temple. Black Widow scribe Eric Pearson is penning the script with Marvel Studios president, of course, Kevin Feige, producing. And then uh, for those of you who are probably wondering who Jake Schreier is, don't worry. That was my reaction, too. Uh, the article went on to actually, you know, mention a little bit of his work. So uh, Jake Schreier, or Schreyer, who's cut his teeth, who cut his teeth directing Kanye West and Kendrick Lamar music videos, broke onto the scene with his 2013 Sundance darling *Robot and Frank*. He also directed 2015's *Paper Towns*, recently wrapped production on the *A24* and Netflix series uh, *Beef*, and has directed episodes of FX's *Dave*. He is repped by CAA, Grandview, and Sloan Offer. Uh, and apparently his pitch, that's the end quote, by the way. And apparently his pitch for this film apparently blew the, blew the guys at Marvel away. So a lot of people could probably panic. And I've heard a couple people say, like, Jake who? <laughs> if any of you know who the broadcast boys are, shout out to them. I like watching their little uh, YouTube shorts when they they'll go, they'll go through, like, you know 76ers of the your draft picks from 76 or draft picks of 2003 for example and if they come across somebody that nobody really knows they'll be like who anyways not to get distracted but what was i saying here i just distracted myself yeah jake schreier so a lot of people you know i've already been hearing people say like who the fuck is this guy like he's directed music videos blah 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 like Marvel has a great eye for talent. We we've seen this is this is in this is like the formula for Marvel. They hire a pretty low profile director, an up and coming director who clearly has potential, and they usually blow it out of the park. I mean, look, we've seen that with the Russo brothers. They went on to direct, you know, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Endgame, Infinity War, and then of course, uh, most recently James Gunn, who at that time directed. I think it was uh, I can't even remember the names of his films, but he only had like. He only did like two films that were like a couple million dollar budget films, you know, pretty, pretty low level. But, you know, Kevin Feige's always said a good storyteller is a good storyteller. You know, can't let, uh, you know, finances and, and things of that nature define who a good storyteller is. You can find a homeless guy on the street who can tell a good story. So, yeah, Marvel and specifically Kevin Feige, Lou, Louis Desposito, I think, is the other kind of top Marvel guy. They know what they're doing. So I, I completely trust Jake Schreier. I don't really know his work very well. I have seen Paper Towns, however. That was a you know a fine film. Um, but I'm confident that this film can be good. Now I want to read another quote about the potential roster we could be seeing with this Thunderbolt film. Uh and the quote said is from the same article. That said, some of the characters who could potentially be a who could a, who could potentially be appearing in the film, I can't read today include Baron Zemo, Yelena Belova, Ghost, Taskmaster, the Abomination, U.S. Agent, and the Winter Soldier. General Thaddeus Thunderbolt Ross is also a possibility since he is the person in the comics who assembled the first team, hence the name. But that is unconfirmed as no deal for any actor has been closed. Now, of course, I'm sure, you know, Justin Kroll, the, the writer of this article, I'm sure he obviously knows that, you know, Thaddeus Thunderbolt is... Uh, The actors obviously, you know, passed away. However, they could recast the character. I I don't... I think this is a little bit different from the, you know, Chadwick Boseman situation. You know, Black Panther had his own, you know, Chadwick Boseman played the character for... He probably had more screen time and he also had his entire own film devoted to his character. So that situation is a little bit different. I think they, you know, as much as I enjoyed William Hurt's take on Thunderbolt Ross, I... I, I do think they could recast the character if they wanted to. If they decided to not go on that route, I'd be perfectly fine with it. But yeah, let's go over this list again of potential members. So we got Baron Zemo, Yelena Belova, Ghost, Taskmaster, the Abomination, US Agent. Okay, no problems. The only two people I might object to is Taskmaster and uh, Ghost. Ghost was from Ant-Man and the Wasp. I did not ever think I'd be seeing that character again. I imagine we could also get some more members as well. Uh, I am uh, quite honestly surprised to see Winter Soldier on here because Winter Soldier is... Well, actually, I am and I'm not. Because in a way, he almost owes a debt to the government for letting him essentially be a free man after all the crimes he committed. However, he was brainwashed. I mean, we all know the story. So... I'm a little bit surprised, but I'm a little bit but I'm also not that he's on this list. But the thing about Ghost and Taskmaster is I found their characters, specifically Taskmaster, to be uh very underwhelming and extremely forgettable. And the thing about Taskmaster is the trailers advertised her character to be quite quite a badass. And I, I was enjoying her up until the reveal of who her character is. And I just feel like we didn't get enough development of the character behind the mask. Like it made sense once we saw it, but it was like, eh, come on, like, yeah. So overall, I think this could be a solid entry and uh, it only makes sense. They've been building towards us. Many of these characters, as I've mentioned, that are on this report, this, you know, this uh, this article here, we've seen them in the MCU, Baron Zemo, you know, Civil War, Falcon of Winter Soldier, Elena Belova. She was in Hawkeye recently and she was, of course, in Black Widow uh taskmaster abomination that one is really excites me he's starting to make his resurgence back in the mcu right he's going to be in she hulk he's briefly in Shang chi and i love tim roth as an actor i think he's an incredible performer uh i love him in all the tarantino films that he's been in and you know i i didn't mind u.s agent i didn't mind uh i like the actor that plays u.s agent uh, he, he was in 22 Jump Street And he was also in a Black Mirror episode Check that episode if you guys haven't seen it I think he like volunteers to uh, Be like a like, uh, he like To like try out this game For a company It's like this form of VR And it, it goes really bad But yeah uh, Let me know what you guys think Are you excited for a Thunderbolts film If not let me know Let me know why in the comments And uh, let's move on to the next headliner Now the next headliner here is Spider-Man No Way Home is getting an extended cut theatrical re-release and I believe in September. Now uh, before I get into my general thoughts, we're going to read a little article here, a little quote from an article to further describe this. So this comes from Richard Niebens from The Direct. Quote, the announcement was made via video by Tom Holland, Andrew Garfield, and Tobey Maguire. Joking around here before... Confirming that the movie would make its way back to theaters in the United States and Canada on Friday, September 2nd, the start of Labor Day weekend. This extended cut is being advertised as the more fun stuff version and will include never before seen footage from the MCU threequel as was rumored in Friday. Uh, And then they go on to say noted insider Amit Chitauri, I hope I pronounced that right, shared the names of five deleted scenes that Sony plans to include in this cut, mentioning that the studio was saving these and more to cross $2 billion at the box office. These scenes will add over 15 minutes to the theatrical cuts 148 minute runtime. So here's a list of the five scenes that are going to be in this extended cut. First is the interrogation extended, which will be two minutes and 25 seconds long. Uh, then the next scene is titled as Peter's Day at Midtown High, which will be five minutes and twenty-five seconds long. Uh, the next is Undercroft Montage, which is a minute and a half, basically minute minute and thirty-five seconds. Then Happy's Very Good Lawyer, another minute and a half, which I assume will be another extended look at Matt Murdock. And then the final one, the Spidey's Hanging Out or the Spidey's Hangout rather, which will be four minutes and twenty-five seconds long. Okay. So, that was a mouthful. Let me give you my thoughts. If that's it, if that's all that they're adding, I don't think this is worth it. And I kind of look at this as a little bit of a cash grab. Uh, Because look, the the, the thing is like, we're getting another basically four and a half minutes of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield hanging out with Tom Holland. The thing about that is that whole emotional high in that big boost to serotonin that we got when we were not only waiting to see that happen, but when we finally saw that happen, I feel like that excitement has come and gone, right? It'll be good to see them again for some more footage, but I think people would be more excited to hear about a future project that they'll be in rather than just seeing recycled footage of them in No Way Home because we already got that. It'll be different scenes, but if it's just more footage of them just kind of chopping it up, talking about their web shooters and whatever. Like, I don't really think people are going to get... Okay, actually, that's wrong. There will be people that... People will get very excited for that. But specifically for me, just speaking speaking for myself, that doesn't get me very excited. Like, if these are the five, the five scenes that we're getting, and that's it, then it doesn't really seem like it's worth it to go back and see it. I'll just wait for that extended cut to go to whatever streaming or something. Now if there's scenes that they haven't mentioned that we could be seeing like maybe we see Venom, maybe we see Mysterio, maybe we see I don't know more footage uh from the original whatever like more footage of like Willem Dafoe as a green goblin because apparently there was there was supposed to be uh, a fight The bridge scene Where we see Doc Ock And Peter Tom Holland's Peter Going at it There results to An extended uh, Concept of that Fight scene That also included Green Goblin Because of course We see in the film Green Goblin shows up But then they cut To the Undercroft So apparently That scene was supposed To continue with Tom Holland Fighting Green Goblin So if we got more scenes Like that Because we saw Tom Hardy in it Who was basically wasted he, he joined the MCU For five seconds Or whatever And then left. He got like a history lesson on who Iron Man is and then dipped back to the Sony universe. So if we actually saw him, which they apparently did film more scenes with him, if we saw him as Venom interacting, maybe even fighting against the other Spider-Man or helping the other Spider-Man fight the original, the OG villains, that I would I would pay money to go see, right? But if it's just like recycled footage like like even the Happiest Very Good Lawyer thing with Matt Murdock, like same thing, like It was widely speculated, speculated, is that whatever? Hopefully I pronounced that right. There's a lot of speculation that Matt Murdock, Daredevil, Charlie Cox's version of Daredevil was going to be in No Way Home. And then once we got that, it was awesome. But then we got it. (laughs) And then the hype kind of died down and we moved on. And now we're looking forward to seeing him in his new Disney Plus series that will be coming. So to just see more footage of him talking happy, like it'll be cool to watch. Like, don't get me wrong, all this stuff, like, I'm sure I'll enjoy it, of course, but it's just, it's it's almost like, come on, like, the film came out, it's over and done with, let's just move on and look forward to the next Spider-Man film. To re-release it with 15 minutes of footage, like, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know about that. And apparently they're going to also touch up on the visual effects, because let's actually talk about that for a sec. Cause this really, this really bothered me. I'll just be as I'm always honest on here, but I'll just give my blunt opinion. The visual effects for specifically Tobey Maguire's Spider Man suit were fucking terrible. They were they were not good. <laughs> I saw comparisons, screen grab comparisons of of a scene from Spider Man Three, which was over ten years ago at this point, 2007 I think, and obviously no way home, Toby Maguire's version of Spider-Man. And like the visual effects from 2007 look way better than they did in No Way Home, which is a film that had like a 200 million dollar budget. Did it have something to do with time? Like did they not have enough time to work on the visual effects? Like I got no idea, but I was really disappointed with that. And they even had to touch up some of the visual effects with Andrew when he was when he first came in on screen. Uh, they did a little bit something there. Like overall, the visual effects in the film were, were, were pretty good. They were solid. It was just some some scenes with Tobey Maguire. He looked like an animated character. He didn't look real at all. Uh, specifically, when he sees Doc Ock again and he takes off his mask, you could just tell that's not real. It just looks fake. And it just looks like CG. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I guess making the visual effects better would be nice. Because I I don't know why they weren't up to Marvel. Because Marvel has Marvel's been known for the visual effects. They've been nominated for Oscar awards for the visual effects. That's why I was kind of pissed off. And it, it kind of disappointed me when I saw... Now, not the entire film. As I, I just want to keep reiterating that. It was more or less just Toby's scenes when he was suited up as Spider-Man. Those visual effects were awful. <laughs> so I was kind of disappointed to see that. I didn't really expect that. So... I guess with this cut of the film, they'll they'll be improved upon. To to what degree, I don't know. Um, but it's not coming up till September, so I assume they'll have time to really kind of go back in the editing room and, and make those changes. But let me know what you guys think. Are you excited for this? I don't want to sound negative. I don't like to be negative on this podcast. Uh, but I just feel like I have no issues with you know films being re-released. But the purpose of them re-releasing this is to advertise more footage. And what I'm saying is, is like, it's pretty much just footage from scenes that we've already seen. Like, for example, the Undercroft montage. What, are we just going to see Peter and MJ and Ned, you know, just talk more about how cool it is to be hanging out around Doctor Strange? Like, Or or in the interrogation scene, are we just going to see Peter sit there and and continue to explain, like, it wasn't me, it was the drones? And then Peter at Midtown High, are we just going to see him walking down the halls with all the eyes on him more like unless we're going to see other like characters that deserve more screen time like tom hardy's venom i i and to be honest i'm not holding my breath for that i don't think that's going to happen so that that's why for me i'm just like i don't know it just kind of i don't know i i'll probably just check it out when it goes to streaming but anyways i don't want to sound all negative let me know what you guys think are you excited for this do you want to kind of ride on that emotional high again? One last time for No Hill. Let me know in the comments below. Now to conclude this podcast today, I thought it would be fun to look at one of my favorite directors in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino. This guy has obviously dominated this industry for decades now, and a lot of people are kind of speculating on what could be his next and, you know, apparently his final film to complete his his career, because apparently he's saying like he doesn't want to make uh, he only wants to make one more film. So, I'm going to rank all 10 films he's directed, from the worst to the best. And I know a lot of you are probably gonna watch this and disagree, and if you do, let's have a conversation about it in the comments. But let's run through it, starting at number 10. We have Death Proof. I didn't hate this film. Let me just, before I continue, all these films to some, you know, to, to one degree or another, I enjoy them, right? Just some more than others, but none of these are bad films by any means. Uh, but some are just, like I said, uh, you know, exceed in certain areas where some of these other films, in those same areas, they didn't elevate or succeed as much, right? So, anyways, this is obviously my opinion. But number ten, Death Proof. Number nine, Kill Bill Volume Two. Number eight, Jackie Brown. Now, I will say, with Jackie Brown, the first time I watched it. It felt very kind of underwhelming. I was like, not much is really happening with this film. It just feels very kind of inconsequential. But what made me kind of rethink my position on it is actually after I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is another film that he did, and I realized like that's another film that doesn't really have, you know, in terms of action and and you know glamour and and, and popped and you know shockingness, whatever you want to call it. There's not as much in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but what it does, it ties everything together in the end, which is why Quentin Tarantino is one of the best storytellers around. And Jackie Brown, to a lesser degree, does that kind of same thing. It sets the stage. So Jackie Brown's been growing on me through the years. It used to be my least favorite Quentin Tarantino film, but it's definitely moved up the ladder a little bit. But anyways, number seven, Kill Bill. Uh, the, the thing about Kill Bill is, you know, I love Uma Thurman. I think she's an incredible actress. There's just something about. I, I really like the first film, but Kill Bill Volume Two just it didn't entirely work for me. You know, from a from a storytelling perspective, I enjoyed the, the you know the film overall. It was entertaining, but I don't know. I, I just yeah. But anyways, number seven, Kill Bill. Number six, Hateful Eight. Now hateful late is another film that it's it's certainly been growing on me over these years uh i don't i don't hate it by any means not no pun intended uh it just i don't know i i think the film like from a storytelling perspective it does a great job we have obviously uh kurt russell's character he's escorting his bounty and uh, this girl who's who he's escorting is obviously a terrible human being. She's racist, and uh, the, so the story ties everything together with her brother and his gang that are that, that are trying to you know get her, you know, capture her and, and free her from Kurt Russell and Samuel Jackson's character. And it all just kind of comes together when they're all at that cabin. So the film just felt a little bit too long, dragged a little bit at times. I know some people will disagree with that, but anyways. Cracking into the top five. Here we go. Now, th- this was hard. Let me, But before I continue, I actually want to say, with all five of these next Tarantino films, which I'm sure a lot of you probably will know which ones they are, I love all these films. I, I, I really do love them. But it, this was a tough list to make in terms of the, the final five. But here we go. Number five, Inglorious Bastard. The thing for me about this film that kind of holds it back at times is when we revisit the character we were introduced from the beginning of the film, the, the, the only girl that escaped from her family when obviously Christoph Waltz and his Nazis were shooting and killing them all. She was the only one that escaped and, and she fled to Paris. When we return to that character, when she's, yeah, when she's in Paris and, you know, she's She's living on her own and she runs this movie theater and whatnot. Like I understand it was necessary to revisit her for the story, but that part of the film I feel is the weakest and probably the least entertaining part of the film. So it's a nitpick because even then, you know, I, there were some elements that I enjoy like the, the scene when she's in the cafe and she's being pestered by the, by the Nazi who's getting his own, who's getting his film nation's pride. And he just like, won't leave her alone. And she's just telling him to, she's politely saying like, fuck off. I'm not interested (laughs) so but overall I love the film uh so that's number five number four Django now Django's fourth on this list but if I were to make a category of the most entertaining right the you know the the, the most whatever gripping edge of my seat Tarantino film it would definitely be Django Django is probably the most entertaining tarantino film that he's done it would probably be a, almost a tie between that and inglorious bastards but anyway so django number four i love christoph waltz i love uh jamie fox and uh and I, it's obviously you know everybody's seen django it's it's amazing but moving on number three this is where i know i'm gonna get a lot of people that are going to you know shake their heads at me but and this was tough this was tough and i'm gonna explain Pulp Fiction. Now, for a while, Pulp Fiction was my number one favorite Tarantino film, and it's it's really hard to even explain why it's not number one. It really just comes down to my opinion. It just it's it, it doesn't make the film any better or any worse. But I, I, it's almost like blasphemy to say that because a lot of people will often say that Pulp Fiction is is his best film, and you know I can understand that, but. It really just comes out of me, in my opinion, and, and the way I feel about these other two films. They, they just hit me a little bit different, but I love Pulp Fiction. Don't get me wrong; uh, it's, it's it's incredible. You get Uma Thurman, Samuel Jackson, uh, obviously uh, John Travolta. I, I still think that's probably one of my favorite performances that he did. Yeah, a lot of reoccurring Tarantino actors that you see, and uh, who's the guy from uh, the Mission Impossible films? Who's like Tom Cruise's? Uh, whatever right hand man uh, he plays like the, the crime boss in this film that you know him and uh, him and Bruce Willis are going out towards the end of the film he's a good actor uh, it's her, I feel like his name starts with a V I, I can't entirely remember but anyways it, it's a great film it's just there's just something about these other two films on this list these other two Tarantino films that for some reason I just I, I can't say that Pulp Fiction is better than these two and the second one Number two on this list is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I this movie it's one of the best films I have seen in the last ten years. I think it takes Tarantino's storytelling his famous storytelling formula that we've seen when we see different perspectives from different characters. It's very much he very much has a a non-linear form of storytelling, which is great because it leaves the the audience. Asking questions, wondering, how is this all going to make sense? And it always comes together at the end in a magnificent, entertaining, beautiful way. And I think that that was on full display as best as any other films in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So that's number two. Number one. Number one on this list is Reservoir Dogs. I don't know why. I think this was Tarantino's first film he ever directed, if I'm not mistaken. I fucking love this movie. It's just you could you could tell it's obviously a low budget film. For the most part, it takes place in one location aside from when they, you know, they, they show the scenes when, when they're providing context of how they got there and they show the police chase scenes and the gunfight scenes and whatever. But it takes place pretty much in one location and it all comes down to To not only the performances from like Steve Buscemi, and I can't remember the other actor's name. Uh, And then you have Tim Roth. And then you have have lots of, like I said, lots of familiar Tarantino actors that he's had in many of his other films. But what really shines in this film is the writing. Because if you're going to have a film like Reservoir Dogs, where it takes place pretty much in one location, you're going to have to depend on a good script. I mean, every film needs a good script, obviously, but you really need a good script if you're going to solely rely on just dialogue and banter and conversation between one character to another. And th- this is a masterclass of filmmaking. And it, it was his first film. I think it was only made for like, uh, you know, uh, like three or four million bucks. And there's even been rumors that his final film, Tarantino's final film, he's it, he'd be interested in Possibly remaking Reservoir Dogs. What a what what a way to kind of wrap up his career. Concluding with his final film being a remake of the first film that he did. I think that would be amazing, and I would be all on board. I'd also be on board for like a Kill Bill Volume Three because he's talked about that. Because obviously Uma Thurman's daughter, she's also a very good actress, and she's she's a lot older now. She's I think she's in Stranger Things and a couple other films. She was in that film with Andrew Garfield. That's I, I didn't mind. Uh, I think it was called. Uh, I can't remember. Um, mainstream, I think it was called, and you know she wasn't bad in that. So there's even been reports and rumors that you know he would have a you know he would have like a, a third film in that franchise with not only Uma Thurman returning but her daughter in it as well that could kind of like tag team and be assassins together and whatnot. So that'd be interesting. But that's my list, everybody. I know a lot of you are gonna be like some of you will maybe agree with me in in certain areas. Other people are probably going to be like, what kind of fucking list is this? It's just my list, guys. Just my opinion. But I I want to know what your list is below. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, none of these films are bad. All of these films are either good to amazing. So that's pretty much how I look at it. But just to run through one more time, I'll quickly run through the list. Uh, so, number 10, Death Proof. Number 9, Kill Bill Volume 2. Number 8, Jackie Brown. Number 7, Kill Bill. Number 6, Hateful Eight. Number 5, Inglorious Bastards. Number 4, Django. Number 3, Pulp Fiction. Number 2, Once Upon a Time at Hollywood. Number 1, Reservoir Dogs. Anyways, guys, that is going to wrap up episode 30. My goodness, we are 30 episodes in. It's been a crazy ride. And I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. Lots of podcasts coming in the future. It's been a fun journey with Unbashful. But we haven't even broke through the ceiling. And I'm excited for the future to come. If you stay for this long, thank you very much for watching. Little, uh, you know, whatever housekeeping if you want to call it. If you can't watch this podcast, you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, The whole nine yards, whatever audio streaming platform you listen to, you can find the show and all of its glory on there. Anyways, guys, I wish you good health, happiness, and everything in between.